You're listening to Montgomery Creek Outdoors. Kick off your boots and kick up your heels. Today's adventure starts right now. Hello, everyone. And we are literally sitting by the wood stove. So this is going to be our version of a fireside chat. <laughs> but story number one is going to start with the owner and founder of a company called Dirtmap here. So Tom Allman. Yes, I'm here. I am here. Thank you both for having me on. I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, the company started in uh, basically early 2013, January. I actually started with some of the prototypes that fall of 2012, and then we really started production in, in spring of 2013. So, so let, me, let me figure this out, Tom. You just woke up one morning and decided, hey, the broadhead industry is not very competitive. I think I'll, uh, I think I'll jump right into that. <laughs> how, how, how did you actually get I, started? I tell you, and it's it's kind of a long story, but it's not. I just had always been a a fan or kind of a connoisseur of broadheads, and I tried a lot of different stuff. And frankly, at that point in my life, I was uh, fortunate to be able to be traveling a lot and hunting and internationally, and especially some trips to to Africa. And I kind of had always wanted something that wasn't out there, and I wanted a defendable two blade with a bleeder blade that would penetrate well and and still be able to hold up and at a price that wasn't outlandish. And so literally, I mean, in the day and age we are, guys, as everybody knows, it's just an amazing time to be alive. And I started researching on the Internet, different machine shops, and how how to get something I want made. And then I ordered my first prototypes. And I remember my wife, Robin, thought it was crazy when I wrote a check to some dude 600 bucks to make me a dozen broadheads. And and it was crazy. But I tested those, and it just frankly has has grown and grown from there to uh to what it is today so and which isn't by far where we want to be but it's sure in the four years we've been doing it it sure has had some tremendous growth and and we enjoy it Absolutely. Yes, we do have our product patented, and, and that is quite a procedure. What what we have patents on is I have two of them, and then I have a trademark as well. But the patents themselves cover what we call the modular weight system, which is unique to our product. that allows it to be shot as either 100 grains or 125 grains, and it's just a little weight collar that threads onto the back of the broadhead where the broadhead and the arrow shaft meet. And that process itself took almost three years and significant amount of money. And I'll just, I mean, to me, it was a significant amount. I think we're total legal fees are probably between eight and ten thousand to get it done. And that was, wow. uh, uh, and yeah, because what they have to do is they have to go back and see if there's anything else on the market that's similar. And and to, um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm any anything fancy at all because we went to that very first ATA show and I didn't have a clue about any of this stuff, folks. I just showed up and. And we actually went to a morning conference at the oh, 2013 or 2014 ATA show to, about a, to a patent attorney. 
and he was putting one on about trademark and patents and what you need to do. And frankly, it almost terrified me because I was sitting there unveiling a product that had no intellectual property at all. I didn't have, I think I had started the trademark because I had it on my own. But the patent had not been applied for or anything done. I remember literally writing it on my laptop, but the beginning application on a plane back from, uh, from the ATA show that very first year. So yeah. what it is is a process exactly. You have to do your drawings, and you have to do a description of your product, and it has to be on file, and then the, the patent office reviews everything and sees if there's any other products in history that are close or if your, your product has already been you know, discovered but never really marketed. And, and obviously that's what takes so long is a lot of it is getting um, the description perfect and then the, the time it takes them to review it. Absolutely. Um, so so with that being said, in, in an approximate four-year period, I mean, how many how many broadheads have you sold to date? Do you know those numbers? Or? Boy, I wish I knew it right off. Uh, I don't, but it'd have to be, geez, I, I would think around the forty to 50,000 packs somewhere in there oh that's impressive yeah it's just it is year after year it keeps, keeps growing and we just really enjoy it that's a good thing Absolutely wonderful. That's the the foundation of our company. I mean, when I set the six hundred dollars to get the prototype started, it was uh, my wife Robin and I, and we had two. We had at that point two year old little boys at home, and and she has been supportive from day one. Because actually, what really got it kicked off was that fall of thirteen. Uh, we started doing more. Maybe it's even the summer of thirteen. I started doing more and more Facebook uh, promotions, and I went on a hunt that fall and was gone for a week, and I I really never. Had intended the product and everything to grow as fast as it did. When I was gone that week, there was no one to man the emails or the phones or, or anything. As we were, it was literally a one-man show. And Rob and my wife jumped in and and took it over that week and basically became our director of operations from that day <laughs> forward. So she, I owe her a lot. But she's but yeah, supportive. She's spouse, the boss for sure. <laughs> yeah, she is always. She's been great. So yeah, it's truly really a family company. It's myself and her. And then obviously there are two six-year-old boys that they, they've helped package and, and do that from day one. And we have now, we uh, truly do have a, a full-time employee, a director of operations, Mike Osborne, who the last year and a half has made life a lot easier for us as far as he being able to handle a lot of things that we're just getting more than, than two people could, could handle. So, so, so I'm guessing this is not the real job since it started up and you've just slowly built it into what it is. Tell us a little bit what the real job is. You bet. The real job is I'm a licensed attorney in Missouri and in Kansas, and I do a lot of uh, different things with that. I, I'm a consumer rights attorney, which means I help a lot of consumers that are being harmed or uh, defrauded. And then on top of that, a couple of small communities. I live in a rural farm community just south of Kansas City, and I'm a city attorney and prosecutor. So I get to highlight by putting... Uh, various people behind bars or administering justice. And I think I really enjoy that part. Of course, the outdoors are my, my love, and, and eventually I'd like to get it certain up to a point where I can be doing it full-time. But to keep the wheels turning, I'm, I'm kind of got a foot in both fields for now. I understand that. Yes, definitely. I know where you're coming from. So I'm sitting yes. here with, with my dad today. I know my 
my dad's like my hero, and you recently just lost your dad. So can you talk to us a little bit about his legacy and his acts for conservation? I know he was a huge conservationist. Absolutely, and that's exactly, that's where it all, truly all this started. I talk about the fall of, or the early 13 being, but, oh, but since the time I was probably five or six years old, uh, we've, I've, we've had this family farm in, uh, just out of Kansas City here, and I live, I was actually, or grew up in Springfield, Missouri, the home of Bass Pro Shops, and that was always, I loved the store, and I would go there even as a kid to get my hair cut, and it just, that helped, but the most thing was, was my dad, uh, was always a big conservationist, a small game hunter, and he would occasionally deer hunt with a rifle. But he would take us, the, me, the two and a half, three hours from our home up to our farm south of Kansas City, which was his farm, had been his family and his dad. And when his dad passed, he was able uh, at the time to, to buy all the interests of all his remaining siblings out. And uh, and since that time, when I was like said, approximately eight or nine years old, we'd go up there nearly every weekend throughout the year, if not every other weekend, and fish or hunt or ride four-wheelers. And as I got into junior high, and we really started the land management aspect. I was, um, although he was an outdoorsman, he never was a bow hunter, never really had a whole lot of interest in it. But I started picking that up. And then together, we both really started doing uh, a lot of conservation projects. Throughout junior high and high school, every spring break, I'd spend at our farm planting trees a little with a spade. And then later on, we got we had a little Matthew Ferguson the pole behind little furrow tree plow and we planted literally hundreds of thousands of trees i would say in the time from us 14 oh early 20s and we just and that's what really kicked it off and we got into the obviously the food plots and land management and and doing everything and learning prescribed burns and learning how to put in a food plot and by no means am i you know a proficient farmer and i have a respect for for guys that are but i sure enjoy the heck out of it and that's Something he instilled in me was the conservation aspects of land management, and, and frankly, it's all, I still enjoy hunting a great deal, but it's that and uh, taking that into the next generation and, and managing my wildlife has become almost more important to me and exciting than even, than even hunting has. That is what but. it's all about, for sure. I mean, I mean, when I look at your Dirt Nap Gear webpage and read the frequently asked questions, I mean, it uh, you almost split your sides laughing. <laughs> well, it, that's again, I got to thank Robin for a lot of that. But we, my wife, we both of us sit down and we just, when we started this as being such a small mom and pop company, we wanted to have fun with it. And, and while we're in a wonderful industry full of wonderful people, a lot of times we tend to, I think the industry as a whole takes itself a little too seriously. So we... We kind of have fun with things, and we like to do a laid-back approach to it and, and, and really just show who we are. And, you know, we're not anybody fancy or anybody else. We just happen to have an idea we like. And so, yeah, we integrate humor into our website, into our social media platforms, and I really think that's helped grow because people can see that we're real and a little silly and a little goofy. And, you know, it is, I think that's the way a lot of people are. Yeah, that's important to me. I, uh, yeah. I, I wanted... Uh, Another thing I wanted to ask you about, Tom, I, uh, most people know that I retired April 1st, 2016, so not quite a year yet, but when, it, when I started, I, uh, I uh, 
beating around not beating around the bush, but I was kind of fat and sloppy and and everything and uh, diabetic. And I started. I'm a either all in or all out type of guy. So I started dieting and doing some stuff. And and long story short, I've lost a bunch of weight, got off all my diabetes medicine. But kind of simultaneously. Um, I noticed, uh, you know, we talked back and forth, and I noticed uh, you, you kind of doing the same thing. Now, you, uh, you've you've lost quite a bit of weight yourself, haven't you? Yes, sir. I'm down uh, about 70, 70 pounds now, and oh, it's wow. funny because we kind of mirrored the same time frame. Uh, you're right, though. I just, I kind of got, uh, I remember it was at an ATA show, and I think it was in 2016, I met Kyle Null, who's a, uh, become a good friend of mine and he's the president of new breed bows and we were sitting there talking and, and he was just a shell of what he'd been before and i at the time i was in about 260 something pounds and i just was uncomfortable and, and my tight clothes and, and winded entirely you know chasing my boys around the house and wrestling and i just frankly saw what he'd lost that much weight and i asked you know like everybody asked when you lose much weight well what's the secret of what'd you do and he said well i just cut back on my sugars and and my carbs and i thought well Maybe I need to do that. And so I uh, went and saw a nutritionist, and she kind of set me up on a on a plan of what, you know, which now, looking back, is just frankly common sense. I mean, I'm not, you know, demeaning her profession because she did a great job. She whipped me into shape and held me accountable. But a lot of it was pretty simple, just watching the carbs and the sugars. And, and yeah, and I feel better now, and and I, I wish I'd done it earlier, but I think it's all, you know, people, a lot of people are heavier, and they wonder, well, what's the secret? What do I need to do? And it all comes down to just wanting to do it and being committed to it. You're, and until so you really, really want it, you're not going to do it. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, as far as training, I mean, do you do any type of workout or weightlifting or? Now I do. After I, I when I was losing the weight, I just watched what I ate, and, and frankly, I was on such a low calorie. I was doing about sixteen to eighteen hundred calories a day that I was not working out. But once I hit close to my goal weight, I started, and now I do two to three times a week of weights in a, just a local uh, small town where I am and there's a trainer there and he's become a good, he's a big deer hunter so I knew I liked the guy right away and, and he's helped me kind of go from you know losing all the weight to trying to put a, some muscle in its place and so yes it's, it is uh, really helped well, that, helped do that. Well that's fantastic I'm proud of you. I am too. Well appreciate it. <laughs> so, Thank you. Yes. Well, we've got, um, when I did, my dad passed out uh, a couple of days after Thanksgiving, and he had always let us know that uh, the farm, the family farm, would eventually be ours and, and to kind of carry on the, the tradition. So my brother and my sister and I did inherit inherit the farm. Um, it's almost, we're nearly to a century farm now that's been in the Adelman family, but to, to, to get back to that, yes, it's the home farm itself is about 112 acres, and we've got a piece that's approximately a quarter to a half mile away that's a little 40, and about from there, we've got another three-quarters of a mile to a piece that's 120 acres. So we were able to, and although it's spread out like that, it's, it allows us to manage it because in between are either open hay fields or uh, landowners who, through reaching out, um, we called quality deer management have actually agreed to, to work along with us. And so it's a loose form cooperative, but yes, we do on the land. And we're, so we're able to manage and put in food plots and do timber stand improvement and prescribe burns. And, and while our neighbors may not 
do those same types of things, at least they're not out there shooting every young six-pointer or small right. eight that walks by, which has really made a difference. That's important. Yes. But that has become such a fun thing. I mean, Casey, like you're talking about, we end this conservation lineage. I mean, I've taken the boys out there and had them participate and prescribe burn, which, as you can imagine, six-year-old mm-hmm. boys think fire is yeah. cool anyways. So we do that. I have them help me shed antler hunts and save them little guys. We've been shed antlers, and I'm not, not above saying I even set, you know, I stage some. I go out the day before and throw little three points and four points and make sure the boys found them and things like that, you know, just. Now, wait a minute. Now. <laughs> just to make them feel good. That's nice of you. That's, that's good. Oh, wow. Right. Keep them interested. Boy, that is a that's a <laughs> great question, and question. <laughs> yeah, because I can give the. I mean, there's a lot of different responses, and and you're right. I've been fortunate for a while. I was a I was a booking agent, and, and so I was a lawyer. And on the side, instead of doing dirt nap, I would I booked hunts for, and that was kind of right. I would say early 2000s, mid 2000s, when a lot a lot of the uh, online access things were changing. A booking agent used to be a guy that would send out mailers or letters and. I hit it right at the time where I was able to supplement my income with some of these outfitters I'd find online and that have newer websites, and I'd pair them up with a hunter who wanted to go to Africa or Spain or even had some go to Japan or South America. And so as a byproduct of that, to be able to market their product, their their trips effectively, I'd get to go either at a reduced rate. Uh, a couple of them I got to go for free. And so, yeah, I got to experience Alaska and Japan and, and Spain and uh, a lot of western states, Colorado, Wyoming. Um, down to Texas, and so I, I don't, as a specific one that stands out of my favorite anywhere in Africa, Botswana is beautiful, but far, hands down, I mean, it, without the cheese factor being too high, it's opening day before rifle season on my family farm in Missouri that I'll take oh, any day of the week, and we don't we don't hunt it with rifles anymore, but it's just the social, my brother, my brother, and before my brother passed, yes, we'd all get together, and and now my dad and one of my brothers are gone. It's just my brother, my brother-in-law, and one family friend, and we're about ready to introduce all these guys, our sons and, and, and daughters into the mix. We've got a little girl who's four and boys who were six, and a guy who's eight. And so I don't know. Sincerely, that's my favorite hunt of the year, but I do get to do a lot of fun things and that I enjoy, but it's sure hard to beat being at home. favorite hunting adventure is always the last one you had. That's for certain. Hey, we talk, I want to back up. I got called out on this shed thing where Casey acts like she's going out there and uh, planting these big sheds I've been finding. And uh, I uh, just want to just want to clarify that I've, I've walked a lot of miles this spring, and uh, I've uh, found found seven, three of them, pretty nice ones. But I, I know you found a few sheds. What, uh, what what's your numbers for the year so far? I'm having the. Uh it's a, the funniest year. I'm having the best year for big antlers and the worst year for overall numbers ever. I've only found three so far, but the first one was in the one he's a, I found his match set and he's in almost tapping one sixties. And then I found a side that was, Oh, a nice 40, 40 inch side. But other than that, I, this year I invested in one of the, you know, you, 
we traveled a lot of trade shows, and so I met a gentleman who was selling those cellular trail cameras, and I was able to pick one up at a decent price. And so I forwarded me pictures, and you wouldn't believe it, but even right now, Tim and Casey, I've got lots, I would say, 60 to 70% of them, quote-unquote, my deer are running around with antlers on. Oh, wow. And I just, wow. it just yeah. is a late year on my farm. I don't, I don't get it, but yeah. I plan on heading out this weekend and looking, looking for some more, but. Well, good luck. Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> turkey, turkey season is next up, I guess. Uh, you got turkeys on your properties you hunt? We do. We have, it's so, so sick, like I said, but we, uh, well, we do get birds through. A lot of the neighboring properties that are hay, hay fields and hay farm get a lot of them, but we do have some resident birds that I'll be, be chasing this spring for sure. So. We're always a mid-April start. How about you guys? Well, it's it's toward the end of April this year, and uh, I'm afraid the grass is going to be knee knee high, if not waist high. And uh, we, uh, I don't know, may do good things think, for turkeys, but it may not do such good thing for turkey hunters. And we'll we'll find out. I think we are in for an early spring for sure. And the nice part, Missouri does recognize they'll just like with our our deer rifle season, they'll do the youth turkey season, generally the week before. And normally that hits perfect right when mm-hmm. it's prime time. And then, you know, so that's that's awesome. But. So, so so are the boys shooting shotguns and stuff yet? Are they going to be turkey hunting or not Not yet? I don't know if they will yet. We've been shooting a lot of bows in the yard, and we've been shooting twenty twos and BB guns. But I don't know if we're ready for the that, turkeys that, quite yet. I think I could probably gun, get them in a blind. Yeah, the shotgun's yeah. quite a... Quite a step up when they're when you're little fellers. Yeah, uh, it'll come. You blink your eyes a couple of times and it'll be here. I promise you that. Yes, I believe that. Well, I hey, do. Let's talk more about your company, Dirt Nasty Gear. I know you have some new products for 2017. I uh, want to talk talk us through some of those products and, and what you're excited about. You bet. You bet. I'm. Uh, we've got. Two new broadheads and one new variant of a broadhead we've had, and then we've got a couple of kind of smaller a la carte items. But our, our biggest news this year are the two the two broadheads. One is the Shredhead, which, as we're talking turkeys, it's our uh, specific design turkey broadhead, and it's very similar to our flagship, uh, the DRT, dead right there broadhead. But it's different in that it's got notches cut out of the blade that really our testing shows slows down the penetration and actually uh, the idea is to keep your arrow in the bird and to transmit all that shock into the bird so as you guys anybody knows with a turkey oftentimes with a bow you either head shoot them or you shoot right through them and then you got to hope that there's some blood or that hits perfect vitals and my theory on that's always been if i can get that arrow to stay in there and 28 inches you know it's hard to fly with 28 inches of arrow shaft sticking through you and i, I don't mean that to be silly or or offensive but i mean i think that's almost that's the thinking behind the shredhead. Right. I, uh, so. I I think that that hard thump that's going to grab feathers. It's going to grab flesh. It's going to it's going to thump them a lot harder than what um, a couple. Let's see, two or three years ago, I, I shot uh, a turkey with a conventional DRT, and of course it mm-hmm. it zipped right through them. Just what you what you want for a big game uh, uh, broadhead. But with that being said, uh, the the turkey didn't really know he was dead yet. And, uh, and uh, you know, when they take off on a fly, I got fortunate. He just flew across the field and, and died in the air and, and fell where I could go straight to him. But uh, but I think that, that thump that this is designed is, is going to be huge for turkey hunters. 
I do too, and I appreciate you guys saying that. And we've even added, uh, we've got little small game callers that can go behind them. They look like a little ninja star. Um, and frankly, those in our testing too have really helped, especially for guys and gals shooting high kinetic energy, 65 to 70 pounds, and a heavy setup. That even that extra little bit of resistance helps. But but that's our that's our turkey head, and then we have a new. Um, and we call it's a hybrid head. It's a BMF, both mechanical and fixed, and it's uh, something we're really excited to be bringing to market. Um, the DRT, as I said, has been our standard, and it's a fixed blade. I wanted to have something for that other half of, of the market. We've been missing the folks that like expandable, but I just, I just met an old school bow hunter, and we can't go completely mechanical. I'm not a big I, fan of rubber bands. I understand that. Blades. So what we did is we did this hybrid, and it's got a one inch main, uh, just a normal two blade cutting cutting blade on it, and then it's got two expandable blades that pop out the sides, and that is another gives you another inch and a quarter. So a total of two and a quarter inches of cutting surface, and it's got a little internal cam and spring system so there's no external o-rings or snap rings or, or any of that that nonsense hmm. so. now one thing i did notice is you added a new color this year blue uh, matches my yes. matches my eyes that's what i will be shooting i just just so you know um but now sp- <laughs> speaking of eye color um tom what color are your eyes I've got one of each. I got a blue eye and a brown eye. <laughs> oh, Genetically I, mutated. I yeah. uh, I used to have a dog that way, Tom. Sadie, no, you know, Tom. Um, and I told you this uh, down in Nashville at the National Wild Turkey Federation show. I saw that Robin posted a picture of you, and one of your eyes was blue and one was brown. And I thought they're joking. That's really not his eyes. And then I saw you in Nashville, and it was your eyes. And I've known you for a while, but. That's awesome. You're unique. Yeah, that's that's yeah. The, that's some of the hardcore facts you learn here on the Montgomery Creek Outdoors podcast, that's, right there. That's super secret. Hard hitting stuff. stuff, right there. But 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 yep. back back to the new products. You've got uh, you've got some uh, wind indicator dust. Uh, yeah. Pretty. Uh, yeah, we call it. Yeah. Have you been able to see it on? Uh, have, you, have you been able to use it yet, Tim? I I have not not to use it in action, but to try it out, and it is uniquely different than most of these uh, squeeze uh, squeeze powders that you see. I mean, it it comes out like it's a smoke or vapor or I don't, I don't know what's what. I read the back of the bottle and seen what it was made out of, and uh, yeah, well, it's a proprietary thing, but I'll let the the viewers or listeners, I guess, see. It is a it's ground up baby unicorn horn that we. That's the harvesting, and it's the hardest part, but getting in the bottle and grinding. After you dry it, it's not too bad. Yeah. So. <laughs> so far, we have yet to hear from them, but I imagine it won't be long. Right. So. After, after this podcast. So. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> another little... But no, it's for real. It's it's a neat little deal, and as you said, it's almost a smoke, or like you, uh, you see those people smoking those vapor cigarettes, or those. there's other products that all that. It has nothing. I mean, there's no... It's not vapor, but it almost looks like that, the way it kind of hangs in the air. And it's really, it's, it's a really cool it's, product. It's I'm unique and about. very impressive. I uh, look forward to deer season and trying that out. Uh, the other little thing, you got a little clamp-on hook thing where you can hang your bow, yeah. hang, hang your binoculars, hang anything. I mean, it's simple, it's, but it's, I, I think I think it's going to be pretty handy to have out in the, out in the woods. Yeah, we call it the lockjaw, and basically uh, it's, um, especially since we're doing a podcast here in audio, it's, to describe it, it's almost like a, a grown-up version of a, a 
suspender clamp on your bib. It's, a, it's got big exactly. gator teeth. And you clamp it down onto your garment, whether it be the top of your jacket or your belt loop or wherever you want to, and then it's got a little uh, kind of a hook on it that you put your D-ring for your bow on or being in binoculars or, or whatever, and it's just a neat way to, especially, the biggest thing is, I mean, I use it in the stand, like a ladder, I should hunt from a lot of ladder stands, and especially late season, you don't want to reach up for the bow hook. You can hold it right there, or the most popular use is guys and gals shooting 3D, and they put it on the belt, and then they can, it makes you know, pulling arrows or ranging or whatever you're going to do, really. Just hang so. your bow right on there by the string. You bet. You bet. Well, hey, thanks for talking to us about your new products. We're excited about them. And kind of switching gears, since I'm a millennial, I thought I might ask you this. What are your views on social media and what it's brought to both the hunting industry and the hunters? Without being overly dramatic, I think we're in one of the best times to be alive. I think we've got opportunities right now to get to people and spread our word, whether that be as a manufacturer, as a person, as a Christian, whatever you want. Now is the time, and it's just a beautiful time, because you you can reach consumers before where, at least I'll put on my manufacturer hat, we would have had to run thousands and thousands of dollars. And in the first year or two, we spent a lot of money on to get quarter page or eighth page in the back of a national bow hunting publication right. and where i think we're in that transition time right now where you can reach out on social media and as more and more people uh, as it gathers steam it's just it's an exciting time and it's for first it's for manufacturers or for even people so and as hunters i think social media offers us the opportunity to be able to portray the importance of family and the outdoors the importance of being a, a steward and, and a conservationist and and yes, is that occasional bloody, horrible picture that someone puts up, does that hurt us? Yes, but I think we can offset that by explaining and, and showing that we as hunters and conservationists are good people and we're in your community and we're not bubble with a six-pack and a loud truck and, you know, that that's not, that's not who we are. Well, see, I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than Casey and, and you both. And, uh, you know, back, back in, in my heyday, um, one, you know, a hunter from Texas or a hunter from Missouri or something. I mean, me living in Indiana, I would have had no way, shape, or form to have contact with them, to uh, become friends with them or anything like that. It's uh, That allows this to happen this day and age, and, and not only happen, it's instantaneous. I mean, you talked about putting stuff in a magazine. I mean, the process of that just took so much time before that hit a viewer's eyes you know, by the time you got it ready, you sent it, they published it, they got the magazines out, someone bought it, they looked at it. I mean, there was a, a big old time lapse there. Uh, with social media, it's instant. I can go out and find a shed right now that Casey, Casey planted for me, evidently. But, and, uh, and, and I can have that thing up and rolling, and, and somebody from California can, can be on there congratulating me on it. I mean, that, that's just, it's amazing. It's, you, you wonder what's next. Right. It's more about the friendships and then the knowledge and then the creativity. I mean, it's the world is at our fingertips. I know for me personally, it's been awesome to make connections all over the place, but especially in Texas. I'm getting ready to fly back down to Texas for turkey season here in a couple weeks. So without social media, Excellent. that wouldn't be here. And we probably wouldn't even know you, Tom. So I agree. It's something. It really is. And and you're right, the friendship aspect of it is just, it's really cool, especially in, and it's still, 
feels almost a little weird at some points, but not really because you'll go to a show and like, oh, hey, I, you know, someone you've known, quote unquote, known online for years or months, and you exactly. don't even meet them in person. It's just a neat deal. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do. Free hugs are part of our deal. Uh, yeah. Tom, Tom, we're about to run out of time here. Uh, we're going. We're going to wrap it up. We sure appreciate you. We appreciate it so much that uh, you've uh, you've volunteered to do story number one for the Montgomery Creek Outdoors podcast. But before we go, uh, feel feel free to give a few shout outs to people that's helped you along the way. Oh, I would sure like to uh, thank my wife, Robin, for sure, for always being there and helping us get this thing off the ground and even to get us to where we are today. Uh, definitely to thank some uh, Aaron Jones, Mike Osborne, Josh Cullen have been three of our guys that have helped me get this company to where it is and where it continues to go. And and I said I definitely want to thank my, my dad, you know, rest in peace, that he, he instilled a conservation ethic and, and the love of the outdoors. And without without that, I don't, you know, I don't know where our heritage would be with people without people like that. So I want to thank you guys too for having me on. It means a lot to me to be able to be the first one you guys have had. And I think you guys are a great dynamic duo and it's just, it's just neat to see the family aspect too. Somebody had to be the guinea pig, Tom. You're the man. We appreciate that. Yeah, dirtnapgear.com is our website, and that's where we do the majority of our, obviously, sales and commerce. Um, we are in a number of shops, and that continues to, archery shop that continues to grow. But uh, dirtnapgear.com, and then Facebook is our Dirtnap Space Gear, and our Instagram is dirtnapgear altogether. And so you can look at any of those, and we do have a link to our Twitter. We're not as active on Twitter yet as we, as we need to be, but we also have quite a few videos floating around YouTube and Vimeo and, and things like that.